morning again, everyone. It is my high privilege to welcome Brent Howland. Brent is the Vice President of International Messengers, a ministry that this congregation partners with. This ministry is an evangelical, interdenominational, and international missions organization, and they are committed to making disciples of all nations through partnering with local churches to renew, train, and mobilize believers for active involvement in reaching the world for Christ. Brent and his wife Tammy and their two sons Caleb and Samuel hail from Clear Lake, Iowa. And we've been given the privilege this morning to listen to Brent this morning and then let him share bits and pieces of how the gospel is expanding in the places where they serve and then to hear the word of God preached as well. So if you would, let's welcome Brent now. Well, a little bit about who we are. Uh, Tammy and I have been on staff with International Messengers for about 10 years. Uh, we uh, came from the Dayton, Ohio area where we were both teachers and coaches, and uh, the Lord brought us into this ministry, and uh, we've been uh, just extremely thankful to be a part of the story God is writing with International Messengers around the world. This church has been a real big part of International Messenger's story. It's my first time here, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you for the privilege of being here with you. Uh, International Messengers started here. I know some of you know that, but uh, Bob Rasmussen, the founder of International Messengers uh, in the mid-'80s or early-'80s, I guess, and then uh, uh, our first missionaries with, with IM went to Poland before the Iron Curtain fell in uh, the late 80s, they went. And uh, now we have 208 missionaries, uh, 21 different nationalities, uh, serving in 24 different countries. And so the ripple effect of your faith, uh, the ripple effect of the ministries and faith of this church goes way, way out. And we're real, real thankful to be a part of it. Uh, Tammy and I, our role with International Messengers, uh, we're on the leadership team there, and honestly, it's just trying to serve and help the missionaries, trying to care for them. Uh, I really have a passion for helping missionaries and ministry people find the freedom that is theirs in Christ, and uh, it's been a great privilege to help people learn to stand in God's grace and uh, serve with the joy He offers them. It's been great. This church uh, has continued, uh, like Pastor Joe said, to support uh, IM over the years and partners with us financially still. And uh, that uh, those funds go over the last several years, about five or six years, into our ministry in Egypt. And I just want to give you a little update of what's been going on there. It's been a three steps forward, two steps back type of scenario. Ministry is often that way. But uh, uh, this has surely been that way. Um, in our early days, uh, early days, you know, like five years ago, uh, just recently, many, many people were coming to Christ. In fact, uh, just one real quick story. I talked to a, a missionary in Egypt, in Alexandria, where we serve, and he said 
he said this story, that he met an Egyptian man that uh, came to his door, and he said, here's his story of how this man came to Christ. He had a dream, and in his dream, he's wandering around the city, uh, uh, searching and searching, you know, and it's a dream, and he's, it's, he wasn't sure what, but just urgently searching for this place. And he gets to this place, and there's a doorway and a number uh, uh, above the door. And he, you know, he looks at that and sees the door and knocks on the door, and then he wakes up. And so this guy was so compelled, this uh, young Egyptian, so compelled by that dream that he thought, I wonder if that place with that number really is something. It really exists. And so he goes to that place. He finds it. Uh, I don't know how he found the street name or whatever, but he gets to that door with that number above it and knocks on the door. This is in real life, not in his dream. And guess who opens the door? This missionary. He says, you know, I think maybe God has sent you here today. And it wasn't that day, but it was a few months later this young man put his trust in Christ. Uh, and I don't want to say that all the stories are like that, but the Lord is doing a great work in the Middle East, in North Africa in particular, and we're privileged to be a part of it. The Lord is sending uh, young Egyptians across borders that for them don't really even exist. I mean, they can walk into no passport, no visa, no nothing. They can walk into Sudan. They can walk into Libya. They can do ministry in places where we never could. And so it's an exciting time for our ministry. And then this summer, and then this past summer, we took two steps back. We had some division, some interpersonal issues, uh, probably some pride and hubris and all that kind of stuff, you know, that gets in the way of people serving Christ. And we had a security scare. Our Egyptian leader got called in to the security police and uh, they made him sweat real, real bad and they threatened his life and they threatened his family and they showed pictures of his, his mother and where he lives and all these people that he serves with and all these people who'd come from the West to help him and we know this and we know this and we know this and we believe that you and all these others are trying to change Egypt and, and what they were really meaning when they said trying to change Egypt. We believe that you are working against the state, you know, so watch it, buddy, or else. Um, Our leader in the Middle East uh, uh, at the time said, what a compliment. If only all missionaries could receive such a great compliment for their work. We perceive that you are trying to change the whole culture. Amen. Yeah, we are. We are. So we're really busted with that. But our Egyptian guy got real scared and resigned from our staff along with a few others. And there's confusion and hurt and unfortunate things said. And we took some steps back. Part of that story was that our leaders for, for all of the Middle East, for IM, they uh, were told, you can't come back here. Your Egyptian foundation that we work under, that legal status has been revoked, and you are no longer allowed to enter this country. If you do, you'll be detained. 
And so we did a lot of work to try to find out if that was really true or just something that was being said to scare us. And at the end of the day, we really didn't have an answer to that. And yesterday, Ben and Berge Oler, they're our, our Middle East leaders, re-entered Egypt for the first time since early August. He wrote a note last night. I, I got it last night. And he said, it took about 90 seconds. Nobody was in the airport. We were worried. Usually there's tons and tons of people. We went up to the customs desk. He looked at our passports, scanned through it, welcome back to Egypt, stamped the pass, and we went through. Bergie said, she said, we got through and we just hugged each other and cried and just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so we're restarting. We're restarting and excited about what God's going to do in the Middle East. Thank you for your partnership. Thanks for being a church that cares about the lost around the world. God's heart is for the lost. God loves the lost. And just really, really thankful to be a part and partner with you guys, with your church, who cares about that, who understands God's heart in that way. So thanks. Thanks. I want to share with you this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This three steps forward, two steps back kind of fits with uh, the message I want to share with you today. Pastor mentioned I'm the vice president of International Messengers, and I thought as I start here, it'd be important for you to understand how truly qualified I really am. I have two seminary degrees. I have in my notes here, it says, uh, wait for applause, but uh, so... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, 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 thanks. Advanced degrees are a lot like underwear, okay? It's useful, important, right? Real helpful to have. Um, But when you feel the need to get it out and start waving it around, it becomes pretty inappropriate right away. That's the way advanced degrees are. In my seminary training, I learned a lot about theology learned a lot about God's Word, which I'm deeply, deeply thankful for. But I'm learning something in these last few years that they never taught in seminary. I'm learning about the theology of weakness. Apparently, you can't get those credits by going to class. As Tammy and I struggle to teach our kids to follow Christ as we fight to live for Christ relationally with each other in our own home, as I wrestle with my own constant sin and immaturity issues and the mess that all that creates, sometimes fear of failure stands up in front of me like Goliath, can almost just knock me back. And so I understand this uh, theology of weakness, or I'm coming to understand it. I think that's what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, I want to read this passage, but a little bit of context here. In 2 Corinthians, Paul finds himself in the tough position of having to give a defense of his apostleship, of his authority, of his kind of right to speak into these people's lives. 
Now certainly, Paul probably had that right just because of what he'd done there. If for no other reason, he had helped uh, get that work started. He was the founder. He had loved these people. Certainly, Paul had led lots of these people to Christ. And now he's been slandered, and there's this ripple, this current of uh, uh, anti-Paul sentiment that's going through the church. You can kind of pick that up as you read through 2 Corinthians. But Paul says in the first six verses here of chapter 12 that he's had supernatural revelations where he heard things that no human is allowed to even tell because they're so inexpressible. So you can imagine Paul, who's had supernatural revelations from God. You can imagine him being tempted to say, listen, who do you think you are to question me. God appointed me in this role. And not with some sort of, oh, I think maybe I should do this. God supernaturally ordained for me to do this. He spoke to me with words. Who are you to question and criticize and judge me like that? I don't know if that was Paul's processing or not, but he does confess that he struggled with pride, and I can imagine it went something like that. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, this is uh, where we pick up our text for today. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In these few verses, I think we see Paul's journey with weakness, a progression just in these little verses of uh, how he walked and gained that theology of weakness. Hopefully, we can glean some things for our own journey. Right from the start, Paul acknowledged that the thorn he had was because of pride. So there's a purpose to this thing. It's It's because of his pride. Three times he humbly begged God for a way out, which I think is stage one in this journey with weakness. In verses 7 to 8, Paul refers to his thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger of Satan, he says, that torments him. So for centuries, we've been debating uh, what the thorn was. Doing a little bit of homework, here's what I found explanation for Paul's thorn. Real common, one of the most common views is that it was blindness. Elsewhere, Paul talks about his eyes. Uh, Malaria seems to be a common view. Other people have come up with the idea that it may be migraines, it may be sexual temptation, it may be the opposition from Jewish leaders, it may be epilepsy, it may be depression, it may be, you get the idea, there's a whole lot of things it may be, this thorn. 
but I think it's ambiguous on purpose. I think Paul uses a metaphor here so that none of us will check that off the list. So that none of us will go, well, yeah, you know, I've, I'm not really one who struggles with depression, and epilepsy, you know, nope, nope, blindness, my eyes are good. This isn't, this isn't me. No, I think he uses thorns because all of us know what he's talking about. We don't need to know exactly what his thorn was because that metaphor is something we can something we can relate to. Regardless of the nature of the thorn, we all know it. So can you sense the tension here? There's the because of my pride. Paul says there's a reason for this. It's purposeful because of my pride. And then he says, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. There's a purpose. I understand. You know what you're doing. Please take it away. It's okay. It's okay in your suffering. You don't somehow have to be so mature that you don't ask for that. It's okay to just beg the Lord, please, please get rid of this. Paul refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. That little word in, there's some variance in how you might translate that. If you went with with, I think there's good reason to draw that conclusion. But uh, if you went with with, it might flesh out the understanding a little, little bit. Excuse me, not with, for, a thorn for the flesh. The idea is that it'd be an antidote. God has purpose in the thorn. It's a thorn that works against Paul's inclination towards pride. He tells us that right there. My thorn has a purpose, a sanctifying purpose. And of course, having struggles, having sufferings, having thorns doesn't make us sanctified, right? But what it does is it makes us cry out to God. It's those places where we experience the thorn, that we finally say, God, help me. God, I don't have anything for this. God, I need you. Please, come, be the Savior in this situation. I know you're my Savior. Please come, work that way here. Please. Picture, if you would, a big cliff. You know, you stand at the top of the cliff and look down for hundreds of feet and way down there at the bottom is the rocks with the, you know, with the sea crashing up against it. Uh, and then there's that little, little branch that just protrudes out from the edge of the cliff about, you know, 20, 25 feet down. And imagine yourself hanging on to that little branch. And you know, if you let go, there's... there's death and destruction at the bottom. And you know you don't have the strength to climb up to the top and somehow get off that branch, and you're wondering, how did I ever get here? You know, none of us climb into that position on purpose, right? You know, I think I'll go swing on that little branch down on the cliff. No, no. But it's a healthy place for us to be because all the other stuff all the idols and securities that we claim as helpful, they all go out the window, right? 
At that moment, when you're hanging on to that little branch, it's, God, help me. And all the things on our good days that we turn to for help and strength, we know those aren't worth much today. And so the thorn, whether it's a self-imposed sin type of thorn, whether it's a chronic issue you struggle with, the thorn makes us cry out to God in a way that we need to cry out to God. Your thorn might be a sin or addiction that nobody else knows about. It might be criticism and rejection. It might be a relationship that's just stifling you. It might be in a place emotionally with someone that you're just ready to give up and walk away. It might be Alzheimer's or cancer. The application point for us is to let go of our self-importance, let go of what other people think, let go of our shame, put down the pride, and just humbly, humbly, Jesus, please, please come and beg him. The second stage of Paul's journey, and for us, is to trust the grace giver. Trust the grace giver. My grace is all you need. When Paul cried out for healing three times over, the answer that came each time is, my grace is all you need. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and returned to prayer, says three times, and all that we get out of Jesus' prayer times, the part that we're told about, Lord, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. The cup didn't pass from the Lord. He drank it willingly because he trusted his Father. I don't think Jesus cherished the pain of it or the shame of it. I don't think Jesus cherished the part where all the sin was on him. Like it was some sort of, woohoo, look what I get to go do now. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He understood what was before him and was willing to go there because he understood his Father and trusted him. And so he's willing to go to the cross because of that. So for me, I tend to think I'd trust God more if he would just solve all my struggles. And that's what I usually ask for. God, take it away, make it better, clean me up, heal me, fix it right now, please. But he knows better. He wants me to learn the kind of trust that carries me through all of life's trials, not just this one. In our struggle, Tammy and I, with infertility, we finally got word that we'd never have children biologically. And for me, it was a, a crisis of faith. Where do I go with this? Do I muster up all the faith in God that I can and take that faith and, and put it over here into I reject these doctors. I believe what God can do. I know He's done it before and this is where I'm going to stand. God will do this. Or do I say, okay, this is the door that's closed. This is what the doctor said. This is... I guess, our answer from the Lord. Okay, Lord, now what? Please direct our paths. 
what does this mean for us as far as next steps and so on? Um, I went into a pretty dark place where I started to believe that somehow God was against us, that God had been mean. He'd given us a dream just so he could snatch it away like some cat and mouse thing. And the thing that started to bring me out of that was remembering the cross and remembering what it cost Jesus to provide grace for me. Of course, it wasn't like this presto, all my doubts are fixed. But that journey out of my darkness and discouragement, that journey involved me every day going to Jesus and remembering and thinking about and thanking him for what he did for me at the cross. That's how he healed me up from that doubt. Jesus, the innocent, suffering to provide grace for Brent, the guilty. Grace that would cover fully all my sins. The ones I'm still yet to commit, it would cover those. Grace isn't free for the one who gives it. It's free for the one who receives it. And Jesus spent a lot to provide that grace for me. And so when I started thinking about that, then my little issue started to diminish. How can I go to him with a raised fist when I know what he's paid? How can I say, that's not fair, when I know what he's paid for me? And the love that it must take to provide that kind of grace at such a cost. In the face of your worst failures, when shame tells you you're worthless, my grace is all you need, okay? In the face of your fears, when they stand up before you like that Philistine giant, he says, my grace is all you need. In the face of that mess you've made of your life because of all your sin, he says, my grace is all you need. in the face of your crisis and your thorn, whatever it might be, my encouragement to you today is cling fiercely to that promise. The final stage of Paul's journey, I think, is allowing God to use his weaknesses, celebrating his weaknesses. After my grace is all you need comes my power works best in weakness. And Paul's response here is, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So my problem is that in my own foolishness, I'm trying to cover and hide all my weaknesses, lest anybody know about that stuff. Paul's saying, now I boast. Now I take pleasure. The power of Christ passes through like a channel through those things. Brene Brown the psychological researcher and, and does a lot of research regarding uh, uh, courage and shame and vulnerability. And she asked an audience of about 500 people, 
How many of you, if you were to come up here on the stage and share your three greatest failures, how many of you would have an overwhelming sense of weakness about that? You would feel weak and think that other people viewed you that way. And most people raised their hand. She said, now, how many of you, if the person next to you got up, marched all the way down here, stood on this stage, and shared their three greatest failures, how many of you would view that as an act of incredible courage? Everybody's hands go up. You see, transparency is that thing we really value in others, just not in ourselves. I love it when people are transparent, and it scares me to death to be that way. But when we hide our weaknesses, when we play around our backhand, when we wear the mask, what happens is we forfeit the opportunity to be loved by Christ's body. When I wear the mask that says, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm strong, I'm good, I don't need anything, yep, doing fine. When I wear that mask, only my mask gets loved. Because people don't know what's behind it. The love never gets all the way through. And so if I want to be, if I want to experience love in the body of Christ, I got to take that thing off and say, you know, not so fine, honestly. <laughs> kind of struggling. Need some help. And, and it's pretty urgent. Really. I got a friend, a friend. I spent last Sunday in the inpatient clinic with him. And I didn't know. I didn't know for 20 years, 20 years, he'd been struggling with alcoholism. His wife and his kids knew, and it was a big secret, and I'm sure there's some other people that knew, but I sure didn't. He was a fun, or it was, is, a fun, funny, enjoyable guy, cared about me, cares about me, and I just had no idea. Now I'm getting a chance. He's embarrassed, he's shipwrecked. He just, it got to a point where there was some incidents and it, yeah, the boat hit the rocks and it fell apart. And his life at this stage is a big big mess, and now I'm getting the opportunity to walk with him in that and to care for my friend in a way that I couldn't over these last years, because I had no idea. I had no idea. But our, our failures, our weaknesses, our thorns, whatever those might be, it's not just just so we can get healed up. It's not just so I can be loved. God uses those things that are thorns in me to reach others. Let me just give you a few examples here. Doug and Roberta Moore uh, started a ministry 18 years ago called River of Life in Romania. There wasn't at that point any alternative really for women who are... Uh, being pressured to receive abortions. And so they found out about that and started this care home for women with their little ones. But the backstory on that 
is that Roberta had experienced abuse as a young wife that can't be talked about in a setting like this. Abuse that brought her near death on a couple of occasions. Abuse that just horrific. None of us would ever wish that for her. I don't understand uh, God's hand, God's design, God's thinking in all of that. But I know that nobody loves those moms like Roberta. She has a passion that's the only word I can think of is fierce for those women. She fights for them. She fights for their souls like nobody else will, like they don't. She fights for the souls, for the lives, for the well-being of those women and their little one. And that story started way back there. It didn't just start the day they landed in Romania or got this idea. It started way back there. Missy Pollock, a young mom who has kids that are uh, way, way down the spectrum on, with autism. Three kids. And as a young mom, just at her end, she put an ad in the newspaper if there are any women who would like to meet and ran the ad. I can't remember how many days. But anyway, a, a good-sized little ad. If you're a mother of children with disabilities of any kind, we're going to meet uh, at, at church. And uh, sure enough, about a month worth of meetings went by, and they had over 30 moms come out of those things. And the next thing you know, we're starting trainings for Sunday school teachers and companions and things like that so they can help these children have a successful Sunday school experience and navigate through that with them and so that the parents can actually attend church and not be stressed out about what's going on with the kids. And moms and dads come into church who we'd never seen before. And it's because Missy said, I I can't. I got to have some help here. She took her weakness and laid it out there, and God played something forward that sh- neither she nor any of us saw coming. I have here half a dozen more of those stories, but hopefully, you get the pattern. God taking something, something broken and weak. God taking neediness. And somehow turning that all the way upside down and using it. And I used to always think it was okay to have a story where your bad stuff was back here. And then, you know, you had your time with Jesus and now all the good stuff is over here going forward. And I realized that actually this journey with weakness isn't a back when I had that type of story. This journey with weakness is something that we still walk, right? Right? (laughs) This journey with weakness is something that we still walk, and we still need to cry out to Him. We still need to trust the grace giver, and we need to hold those weaknesses like this and not cover them up and hide them away somewhere. Hold them so that they can be healed and others can be healed so God can reach others through those things. I just want to close with this. 
walking with Christ as a good Christian isn't about always putting your best foot forward so people will see really excellent, excellent Christians. It's about being honest with people about your walk with Christ and about where you're at in life. And I just want to say, can you see the possibilities here? If this is true, and we trust and know that it is, then God's grace trumps my weaknesses. If this is true, then there's a pathway to victory. Then I don't have to be bound up. I don't have to let shame win out over me. Fear doesn't have to win. What they think doesn't have to matter. If God's grace is all I need, if He uses weakness, then let's go. Then let's go. What's holding us back now if this is all true? This is the good news. This is the good news. The grace of God trumps my sin. It trumps my weaknesses. It trumps my thorns. And he can take those and my trust in him and work out something I couldn't even envision. So in that light, let's look for some fresh faith steps to take. I know for some of you, you don't need fresh faith steps. You need to hold on to grab a hold of some hope and courageously hold on and continue to walk with Christ. But probably if we're honest, some of us need a good, solid, sanctified kick in the rear. Some of us need to get up and let's go and not let our fears rule us anymore. And so I don't know where on that spectrum you might be, but I trust, I trust that in your brokenness, in your weakness, with your thorns, God knows how to do His business with you. God knows how to use those weaknesses in a way that would be really, really productive for His kingdom and healing for you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this time and this opportunity. And I just pray, I just pray that you'd give courage where it's needed. Help us to trust your grace. Help us to trust your provision. Help us to not lean on our own understanding, on our own achievements and performances and ways of trying to make you happy with all our best efforts. Lord, I pray that we'd lean in hard into what you have done and nothing else. Lord, we trust you with what you might do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd just like to say one more thing. We could use you in Egypt, okay? We could use you. I'd like to send six or eight people from the U.S. and or Canada back to Egypt this summer. We've got a, a, a little group of Egyptians, about eight believing Egyptians, we're going to invite about 30 unbelieving Egyptians to be part of an outreach week where we would share our stories with Jesus. Maybe that's the fresh faith step, okay? Bless you.